your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Wednesday of Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talking text line. In studio with me, Viterbo history professor, Viterbo political science professor, Keith Knutson. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about a little bit about Russia, Ukraine. I don't know. It might take the whole show. And uh, the Wisconsin State Legislature uh, ending. They're done for the year. We can talk about that a little bit. they got one more day. That do they have one they, more day? They, that they could, could meet, whether they'll do anything or not. Yeah, you might want to pull that just a little bit closer. I don't know. Adjust it the way you want. But, can you uh, hear me now, Rick? Well, I, we can hear you. It's just a matter of, like, hear, hear you well. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, I had Jill Billings on here in here on on the other day and she's like there might be three more days in march i think six seventh eighth, somewhere around there yeah. uh where they do stuff there's a special session too well and that's probably going to be gaveled in and gaveled out that's right. what the republican controlled uh, legislature has been doing with governor evers calling a special session yeah and that's one of the things in terms of uh the state legislature i want i'll want to talk to you about later is the ideals of republicans perhaps changing maybe just in Wisconsin, maybe just right now versus, I don't know if you pay attention to what Minnesota is doing, but they're kind of in the same position with a big giant budget surplus. I think it's even bigger. It's like $10 million in In, Minnesota. Minnesota, Yeah. Yeah, So uh, guess what? Republicans and Democrats who have a split house, they're actually talking about what to do with the budget surplus versus over here. Um, But anyway, stuff that's, that's some of the things I want to get into, but um, how long Viterbo, how long you been there? How long you been doing this? 30 years. 30 years. And uh, when it comes, I wanted to bring you in to talk about Russia, Ukraine. Uh, first of all, you, you're, you're a scholar, so you've studied this stuff. But you've, have you also been over there? I, I don't know. Whereabouts in Europe? In, in, in what, where's, where's your, your like, firsthand experience come with witnessing? I'm, not that you're witnessing war or anything, but like experiencing uh, you know, Ukraine, Russia, Europe. Well, I've never visited Ukraine. I've been in... Uh when it was the Soviet Union, 1988. Um, I, I used to spend some summers in 1988, the whole fall semester, traveling Europe. I went to 20 different countries with Eastern Michigan University, a European cultural history tour. And so I have uh, had the great fortune of experiencing European cities um, on uh, more than two dozen occasions. It was my job. I lived out of a backpack and traveled with students and taught European history. Now, do you do both straps on the backpack I did. or one? I, I okay, did. both straps. Yeah. Okay, that's big right now. It's whether which way is cooler. Um, I was so, not cool at all. No, <laughs> Soviet Union in 1988, end of Cold War. Yep, I, the, I, I guess uh, uh, in, safe in, to go there essentially. The, um, well, it, you could kind of feel uh, the end of communism in the air. That is. Um, I visited uh, St. Petersburg, uh, formerly Leningrad, uh, Moscow, Warsaw in Poland, East Berlin, Prague in the Czech Republic. Um, you're just giving bona fides now. Well, I, I mean, those, those are the <laughs> no, communist, I asked you, yeah. communist Eastern European societies I've been able to visit. Yeah. And in all of them in 1988, uh, Gorbachev, uh, the leader of the Soviet Union, was introducing glasnost and para, perestroika, uh, perestroika, uh, economic reformulation of the system, glasnost, openness, um, and uh, Gorbachev wanted to reform the communism of the Soviet Union. In my estimation, the opinion, uh, the, the, the system was so rotten that uh, 
this attempt to open it up and reform it c- collapsed the system. Okay. Um, all right. So, you know, we, we I think we can can we, can we get into why Russia invaded Ukraine and before we go to break is it is it like a 3 minute conversation or is that going to take Well, let's start. Yeah, um, just uh, yeah, just that's that's the one thing. Like why Russia? Why are you invading Ukraine? It doesn't make a ton of sense because it's just what is there is there gold in the mountains in Ukraine? Is there some some material thing that they want to have? It just doesn't it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, this goes back to 1988, 89, 90, when the Soviet Union broke up. What was the Soviet Union is today 18 different countries. We won't go through them all, but one of the republics... Is Azerbaijan one of those? Azerbaijan was one. That's always my fantasy football team name. (laughs) For no reason other than that's funny. It's a great name. Um, uh, Ukraine became an independent country. Uh, Let's just call it 1990. Okay. And... uh, they had the third largest nuclear arsenal on the planet. Of course, it all belonged to the Soviet Union. And Ukraine agreed to give up its nuclear weapons and the United States and the Soviet uh, and Russia at the time because of course U- Ukraine had been part of the Soviet Union. Now there's Russia, Ukraine, the neighbor Belarus, uh, 16 other countries. Yeah. Um, uh, the United States and the Soviet uh, and Russia agreed to uh, look after the security of Ukraine. They turned those nuclear weapons back to Russia. Um, that is the starting point uh, in terms of current Ukrainian independence. It had been part of the Soviet Union. It had been part of the previous Russian Empire. But Ukraine has its own history. This is where Vladimir Putin is saying it doesn't. Well, it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, we won't go through all that history. I, uh, but U- Ukraine has a history as long, maybe longer than Russia's. What would that class be like? Ukraine 101, something <laughs> yeah, like that. Something like that. If you're going to take it as a college course, yeah, or maybe it'd be a 201 course. Maybe it seems a little deeper than basic history. Well, the history of all of Eastern Europe is one of uh, border changes and wars, and uh, one society becoming predominant and conquering other societies and incorporating them and. Russia, Ukraine, Poland, and other societies are all caught up in that back and forth, that give and take. But there, the, the change in borders is through warfare. We've had a, a, a presumed principle in uh, the 20th, 21st century that borders are not going to be changed by warfare. And that's Vladimir Putin's current transgression, invading Ukraine to try to make it part of Russia. Yeah, it just seems. Is that a pride thing? Like I just, we want Ukraine back. I got to okay, okay, Russia. You, you do have a pretty good one there. Um, uh, well, Putin uh, sees the greatness of the Soviet Union having been diminished, and remember, Putin was a KGB agent, um, and uh, uh, he wants to reinvigorate the past greatness of Russia. Uh, one of the neighbors, Belarusia. Uh, with a dictator by the name of Lukashenko, uh, looks like they're, you know, he, uh, uh, Putin saved him uh, a couple summers ago when his citizens, uh, Lukashenko and Belarusia, they were protesting, looked like want, they wanted to get revolt, rid of yeah. Lukashenko, and Putin saved him. Um, Belarusia then is probably on its way into becoming incorporated into Russia in some way, mm-hmm. shape, or form. Ukraine has said, no, we're not going back there. Um, they had a, a an orange revolution in 2004 
uh, saying that they want to orient themselves in a Western democratic capitalistic direction. In 2008, I think George W. Bush made a bit of a mistake saying, well, maybe Ukraine can come into NATO. That kind of begins to set Putin off. Um, uh, the Soviet Union had a, an empire in the east of Europe incorporating Ukraine, Belarusia, the Baltic Republics, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania into the Soviet Union. And then after World War II, Poland, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, Romania, Bulgaria were part of a Soviet empire, the Warsaw Pact. Stalin wanted a cordon sanitaire to keep the Germans from invading Russia, which they had done a couple of times. Um, and then in 1990, that security system for Russia falls apart when the Soviet Union ends. Um, and Putin aspires to rebuild something of that again for Russian greatness and, in his mind, security. All right, we're going to get we're going to go to break. But before we do that, Eric from Sparta is calling in. Eric loves when Keith Knudsen comes on. Eric, you're on with Keith. Go ahead. Yeah, I was in Germany in 1971 to 73. I was in a unit called SAFCOM. That means Special Ammunition Support Command. If you can understand what that means. But anyway, we had some uh, nuclear weapons on this giant rockets, 155 howitzers. We're stationed in Germany to protect Germany from a Russian invasion of Western Europe. I had a secret security quiz, and I could not travel to uh, through East Germany to get to Berlin because my security clearance, and that was a, and that would happen to be a kind of a, a, a compromise that that might. Uh, you know what? You know what I'm talking about. Uh, might, yeah, uh, yeah. And thanks for your thanks for your service, Eric. Well, no, listen, please listen to me now. I drove the commander of the United States Army Europe, Yusra, they called it around Europe to these different places we had different in the uh, Netherlands, um, Germany, Turkey, and Greece. Missiles aimed at Russia, okay? Anyway, the point is this. You cannot trust the, the Soviets one bit at all. This guy is losing his mind. Putin is losing his mind, and he's going to go off the deep end, and he's going to have all these thermobaric weapons all over Ukraine, and, and then if he gets really stuck in the corner, he's like a trapped rabbit, rat. He will use nuclear weapons, hypersonic nuclear weapons on the United States, so you better be aware of that. If you think he's not capable of that, you should think again, and I thank you very much. All right, thanks Thanks for your call, Eric. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, it's probably something we can we can talk about, just uh, cornering Putin and is that a good thing or a bad thing uh, when we come back? All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM 608 785 7914 is the talk and text live. A turbo history and political science professor Keith Knutson in here with me. And uh, we're talking about Russia, Ukraine. And I, I'll get to your text. It's hard for me to, we're talking in the break, so I didn't read the text, but I'll, I'll do that at the bottom half of the hour. But if you want to shoot me a text, 608-785-7914. And Keith, if you got questions, Keith, Keith will answer them. He's willing to do that. And uh, so Keith, we were talking about, Eric, Eric brought it up. The, the, that's probably like where everyone wants to go with this. Is Putin going to use nuclear weapons? And and you know when when the it, it appears the sanctions that the U.S. and everyone else is putting on Russia is putting putting on Putin I should say is putting Russia in a pretty is backing them into a corner, which means you know do they get to the point where they get so far backed into a corner that that nuclear weapon nuclear 
you know, Holocaust, whatever you want to call it. Where the Putin... nuclear option. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, our uh, our leaders, that is President Biden and the uh, leaders of NATO and our allies, uh, Japan and other countries, have joined in on this economic sanction thing. Um, the uh, purpose would be to diminish the Russian economy so that, Putin would have to make a choice. Would he continue on with this invasion of Ukraine that's not going so well? So we could go back and talk about what are the perceptions, what was expected in all this operation, what has it become? But the sanctions are intended to make uh, the oligarchs around Putin, maybe Putin himself, he's supposedly worth $100 billion, but people don't even know where the money is, um, uh, to, to make him alter his course. Uh, and, of course, because Russia is a nuclear-equipped power, one option available to Putin is nuclear weapons. Of course, this is why we've chosen not to send troops into Ukraine, because that would uh, run the risk of a direct confrontation with a, nu uh, a nuclear power. So... Uh, uh, Putin, you know, well, we had the discussion during the break. Is Putin crazy? Who knows uh, uh, what his psychology is? I'm sure there are well-trained people in our government who have a pretty good guess. Um, I'm not that well-trained. Yeah, because it's it's hard to to know. You know, I talked to you. I've been talking to you back and forth the last couple of days about like what what you're reading, what you're seeing. Is it is it propaganda? Is it real? Uh, there's there's the picture of Putin at a table, and then like 25 feet away on the other end of the table, it's the longest table in the world, uh, are his leaders. So they're apparently having a conversation there. And it's like, first of all, Putin is very, very crazy about COVID. He's very cautious. He's isolated himself, like you said, for years because of COVID. Also, is that a power thing? And also, does he have people in his inner circle that are releasing photos that make him look bad? But to me, this seems like Russian propaganda. Putin allows this picture to come out to show that he's like, I'm big, I'm big, tough guy. Nobody, you know, I do what I want. I don't know. I, I can imagine that that's part of his psychology. Um, but remember, uh, our government uh, and even our president has been talking about uh, the Russians are plan. Uh, you know, why did they put a, a, almost 200,000 troops on the border with Ukraine? Um to invade, right? Yeah. Uh, the most logical thing. Uh, our government has been uh, talking about some of the uh, quote-unquote intelligence that we uh, uh, receive. Uh, I have no idea how we get that intelligence data, that information. But uh, Putin must be wondering, uh, does he have a secure apparatus? And of course, he is a, a dictator, uh, an autocrat. Yeah. Uh, he wants to have total control of his operation. He might be wondering at this stage whether he does. Well, I've seen all the Jack Ryan movies. I don't know if you've seen like Air Force One and a lot of these deal with. So Jack Ryan has got his his Putin, you know, number one man in the back channels. They're always talking. So well, the U.S. government may as well. <laughs> um, all right. 608-785-7914 is the talking text line. We got a couple of callers calling in. Uh, bring him on. Uh, caller, who is this? You're on the air with Keith. Hi, hi there. Thank you. Yes, got a question, uh, a couple of questions. One, uh, this issue with uh, Crimea, it, was, it seems to be uh, disputed you know, who actually owns that. You know, it's predominantly Russian people living there. Did they vote to join Russia after Putin annexed it? And those two breakaway republics, 
Ukraine has been bombing and shelling them for years. They ask Russia for help, which is what's prompted his invasion, along with Ukraine discussing uh, obtaining nuclear weapons again. At that point, Putin invades. I don't blame him a bit for going in there. He's been watching for the past 30 years, NATO pushing closer and closer to his front border. When, when does this stop? You talk about he wants to re- resurrect the Soviet Union. I don't believe that. He's, he's defending his borders, the biggest country on Earth. They have one warm water port in Crimea, and people act like they can't even have that. You know, I'd like your comments, please. All right, thanks for the call. Well, uh, let's begin with Crimea, uh, taken by the Russian czars in the 19th century, Russia aspiring to have a warm water port. Um, Crimea, uh, the eastern portion of Ukraine, as the Soviet Union, controlled from Russia, uh, uh, dominated uh, what is today 17 other countries. Of course, many Russian people then moved into this uh, Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, and it leaves a residue of Russian peoples in territories that have not traditionally been Russia. Um, so, caller, I think you, I think you get some of this uh, off the mark. Uh, I don't think Ukraine is agitating to uh, uh, reacquire nuclear weapons. As a matter of fact, Ukraine chose to give up nuclear weapons, uh, the third largest nuclear arsenal on the planet, in 1990 when the Soviet Union broke up. Uh, they went back to the Soviet Union and uh, to, to Russia then. Uh, and Russia, the United States, uh, uh, guaranteed the security of uh, Ukraine. Now Vladimir Putin is not recognizing that commitment that the government he had made something like 30 years ago. Um, uh, the Ukrainians have, uh, in my estimation, not instigated this affair. Uh, uh, in 2014, uh, when Ukraine pretty much rejected uh, Russian tutelage. Um, Putin has been angling to then get Ukraine back into now the Russian orbit, orbit, no longer the Soviet orbit. So uh, this uh, uh, area in the east of Ukraine, um, of course, these these Russians uh, asked for Russia's help. Putin then, uh, to become independent, Putin then obliges. But that was Ukrainian territory. That was the bargain Russia made when the Soviet Union fell apart. So um, I, I, I think, caller, uh, you uh, may want to really investigate uh, what you think is going on here because uh, I think you're, you're uh, sadly mistaken, and uh, that makes uh, for the potential for, uh, if it were one of our decision makers, for bad decisions. Yeah, that was a very pro-Russia call. <laughs> that was interesting. Uh, it, it's, uh, but, but it's, you know, that's what we're doing. Uh, Mark's calling in. Mark, you there? Yep, I'm just wondering, uh, a lot of us out here are wondering, why did we shut down the Keystone Pipeline? Why did we have the U.S. government shutting off the leases so we could drill for oil? If we opened up the Keystone Pipeline, we'd be able to send the Canadian oil, plus our own oil, down to the Texas ports and ship it out to Europe to help them support their energy needs. And we'd be able to cut Russia off. Why are we continuing to buy Russian oil? Well, of course, that's a long trip. Um, uh, Russia's uh, geographically a little more suited for um, uh, the pipelines that are, you know, the Germans have now shut off. 
Uh, the Keystone Pipeline and this oil from Canada, uh, if you're talking about the oil from the tar sands region, it's the dirtiest oil on the planet. Uh, we're confronting um, a global warming crisis, and so uh, somehow, someway, we need to find our avenue for engaging in transportation and heating, um, not using the dirtiest oil on the planet. And uh, I think some of that oil is coming out of the... Uh, fracking operation in North Dakota, and then that too is polluting our aquifer water, which is uh, uh, precious uh, in precious short uh, supply in the West. So uh, I just don't see the Keystone Pipeline as a solution to the problems we're facing at this moment and then in the future. All right, we got to take a quick break. Viterbo history and political science professor Keith Knutson on. We're talking Ukraine. We'll see if we get to the state legislature in the next half of the hour, but we'll keep this conversation going as well. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM 608. 608- 785-7914 is the talking text line. Keith Knudsen, Viterbo History and Political Science Professor, in with us. He's doing a little bit of a history lesson on Ukraine and Russia for us and uh, taking some calls. So if you got a call, if you got a text, uh, feel free to send me, send me, uh, send it my way. Send it our way. But um, And we're getting a couple of those already, Keith, so we'll see. Uh, but, yeah, let's just reset a little bit. We were talking about kind of all over the place with, with Russia and Ukraine. You know, I, I had to throw nuclear in there because that's – uh, you know, the, the end-all, be-all is, like, does that happen? But um, we were talking about sanctions, and, you know, we're just saying what the ruble is down to a record low and, and versus the U.S. dollar. I don't, I don't exactly know what that means because <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not an economist. But Well, no, nor am I, but uh, as the value of the currency declines, then the cost of goods goes up, and that leads to inf- inflation. Uh, you know, we've been experiencing something like 6% inflation uh, annually uh, over the last year, and Americans are uh, quite unsettled by that. Russians are going to be experiencing a much higher rate of inflation, uh, and uh, the the economic sanctions then against the Russian National Bank, that's hitting the currency, and sanctions against these oligarchs, um, that is the big-time businessmen, billionaires around Vladimir Putin, multi-billionaires, and even some of their property is being confiscated um, that they've uh, purchased in the Western world, trying to find a place to park their um, their wealth outside of Russia. All right, so I'm getting a couple texts. Very, very uh, kind of out of the left field here, and they don't make a ton of sense anyway. Talk about Russia and Ukraine, comma, Russia has independence that we had and gave away. Ukraine has allies with little help. Could you please tell me whose children are in charge of Ukraine's energy, comma, Biden's son, question mark, Pelosi's son, question mark, not sure. Okay, that's that's one text. He keeps going or she keeps going. Well, well, let's deal with that. I mean, that's just going back to the uh, argument that... Uh, uh, Hunter Biden was engaged in nefarious business um, in Ukraine. Uh, there uh, is still investigation into his uh, taxes. Uh, that is Hunter Biden. Uh, but, uh, w- you know, this is a two, three-year-old story now that doesn't seem to be getting traction except maybe for people like the person who texted. Yeah, and they keep going, how much was the Clinton Foundation funded by Russia if you don't know, it was $145 million, Trump zero question mark, huh? 
Okay. Yeah, I, you know, the, 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 that that's the kind of commentary that uh, uh, we don't need to grapple with because it is kind of off the wall. Yeah, definitely. That's, <laughs> I just wanted to read them. Uh, the, the punctuation is confusing there, so if it sounds like I don't know how to read, it's I, I'm trying to interpret where the punctuation would go. Um, all right, so let's see here. We go back to the calls. Uh, David's calling in. He's been waiting on hold. Dave, thanks for waiting on hold. You're on with Keith. Go ahead. Yeah, hi there, Rick. Hey, Keith, I got a couple questions for you. The first is um, uh, the way the news media is not being acceptable by Russian people. I have family there. I have a uh, cousin that still lives downtown near the Kremlin. He's a accomplished writer and historian. I thought you might be interested in that. Uh, and I've been trying to uh, uh, send him some video, live video uh, uh, situations, what's going on in uh, Ukraine. Uh I am a bit concerned if they're tracking uh, uh, information being sent from the states over there. Uh, do you suppose that might put him in harm's way? And the other question I have, I'll try to make it briefly. Uh, I've been following this thing since it started, and I've had very little sleep. Uh uh, the news has only been uh, covering the land-based uh, uh, attacks by the Russians. Uh, and uh, my wife and I, we go over to Bulgaria every year or two. And What's she your just question? got back last month. What's your question? On the Black Sea. And uh, I, I, I use an app called Marine Activity. All right, so there's... <laughs> uh, Thanks, Dave. It's pretty wordy. We only got so long of a show. Uh, he's sending stuff to his friend, and, and he's trying to send Ukraine videos or Ukraine, what's going on in Ukraine to his friend near that lives in Russia. Is is he putting him his friend in harm's way? I don't know. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised, but that could put a person in Russia in harm's way. So I'd be very careful about that sort of thing for the safety of your, I think it was actually your brother. Yeah. Yeah. So so maybe don't do that. I. I don't, I don't know for sure, but like that's the world they live in in Russia. So it's. I think uh, uh, communist China, uh, Putin's Russia. These governments um, are able to uh, track internet activity, and uh, 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 this is, uh, in my estimation, a rather risky business. Uh, trying to communicate something that the government may not be appreciative of. All right, we'll go back to Kent's calling in. Kent, you got a question for Keith? Yeah, hey, uh, Professor Knudsen, good, talk, good to talk to you. But, uh, you know, going back to the, like, our producing our own oil, and we're shipping all this oil from Russia over here right now, like 580,000 barrels a day. Um, Russia has the dirtiest, filthiest oil production in the world next to China. And at least in the United States, we do have oil, Texas and the Gulf of Mexico, even in Alaska. I know we want to go green and go electric, but... I think that caller was, what I'm trying to say is, and we're funding the Russian war machine on top of it, let's get our own oil, get our, our gas prices down, and then we can work on the electric thing later. But it's getting so out of line. Let's let's do our own thing, Professor, you know, and I'll take your answer off the phone. Thanks. 
Yeah, well, I appreciate that sentiment, um, but the, uh, I don't think you were referencing the oil that uh, would be moving through the Keystone Pipeline, so that's, a, that's another issue. I'm, uh, I'm not an oil expert, but I'm not aware of us importing very much oil uh, from, uh, from Russia. Um, you know, it's, it's our European allies, Germany and Italy in particular, the two largest importers of Russian oil and natural gas. Um, and, uh, of course, a geographic proximity then makes some sense for that. But uh, that Nord Stream 2 uh, uh, line that was going to come into Germany, the German government has just decided uh, not to do that. And so somehow, some way, uh, we may need to um, uh, find some way to uh, assist I I with uh, uh, European demand for oil. Of course, Germany, uh, under uh, Chancellor Angela Merkel, uh, recently decided to shut down much of its uh, nuclear power production. And uh, I've been reading a little bit about uh, maybe that doesn't look like uh, such a, a, a wise move at this point in time when now there's going to be this energy crisis. The good news is we're moving out of winter and into spring, um, and the requirement of uh, uh, heating uh, homes and buildings is... Uh, not going to be as extreme. I did hear a story from Germany uh, last summer talking about heat waves and uh, a German guy had been here in the US talked about, well, I go into homes and the air conditioners are uh, really set down and uh, get cold and I go out and get hot and then I get sick. And he said, here in Germany, um, we have beer gardens and we sit outside and drink beer. And his recommendation was the United States of America could probably use a few more beer gardens. And so caller, rather than uh, going down the road of extracting more oil, maybe one possible alternative is a few more beer gardens in the shade and relaxation always uh, to imbibe in moderation. Hey, there's a plan to change, to turn Pearl Street into uh, just a basically like State Street in Madison. So that's on the docket. That wouldn't be a beer garden, but we could turn Pearl Street into more of a outdoor uh, you know, and, tre and trees for shade. Uh, 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 the global warming thing is very real, uh, and uh, uh, somehow, some way, we need to find our, our our way of weaning ourselves off of carbon fossil fuels. All right, so I, we we we're talking about uh, news a little bit, and uh, and I, I want to just propaganda. There's there's Russian troll farms they're called that just they create fake social media accounts to pr to promote pro-Russia sentiment. It sounds like a couple of them are calling in, too. Um, <laughs> the, the the stuff that you see on the news, whether it be pro-Ukraine, pro-Russia, anti-Ukraine, anti-Russia, it's it's really, like, it's, and I don't know how much you're diving into social media, but man, there's a lot of stuff out there. I saw a video of a guy in a tractor hauling away a tank because they stole it from uh, the the Russian military, so a Ukrainian on his tractor. You know, you assume he's a farmer. And then I saw another another story about uh, whoever whoever is like the overseer of Ukrainian uh, taxes, right? Like I don't know this treasure or whatever. He said, "Don't worry if you if you uh, confiscate any Russian tanks, you won't have to claim them on your taxes this year as uh, you know something." <laughs> you must, so, I mean, that one's kind of out there, but there is definitely a video of a Ukrainian. So, like, what can we trust? What's real? What's fake? Um, I think we can uh, trust our mainstream uh, news sources uh, to present uh, reports from their reporters on the ground in Ukraine. 
that that's pretty reliable in my estimation. Um, but I think now we, we, we get into an important issue. Before the Russians actually engaged in the invasion, there was a general consensus that this would be a very quick operation and that Putin would be able to present uh, a united Western Front with a very quick takedown of Ukraine. That has not happened. Um, uh, the West even offered the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, uh, a, a plane ride out of the country, and he said, hey, I need weapons and not a ride. Um, the Ukrainian people standing up to this Russian invasion, and for um, these callers who are saying that Ukraine instigated this, you are wrong. Russia instigated this, and the Ukrainian people are showing that they are a nation of peoples. They believe in their own territorial integrity. They believe they should have the choice of associating with other countries which they want to associate with. Uh, they would like to be in NATO. They'd like to be in the European Union. They would like to be oriented to the West, democracy, uh, capitalism, by the way, uh, consumerism uh, that provides people uh, a, a, a more comfortable, uh, a more plentiful life. And uh, the Ukrainians are giving us the opportunity uh, to rally behind them and support them and stand up to this dictator, Vladimir Putin, who has no respect for the lives of human beings who are being lost right now because he has an aspiration to have Russia uh, begin to reclaim some past historical glory. Yeah, and that's kind of why he's gone to Ukraine, right? It just seems it seems like a, a well, little he, bit of a... Look, Ukrainians are Slavic speakers. They've had some association with Russians. There have been Russians who moved there. Um, but the Ukrainian people are today, right now, choosing not to be in the orbit of Russia and rather associate themselves with other former communist societies, uh, other portions of the Soviet Union, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, um, to uh, uh, have the protection of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. That's very important to these people who did live under the Soviet Union and Russian domination. Uh, they now are living free lives, and that is their aspiration. We don't want to uh, put our own troops into Ukraine. Russia is a nuclear power. If we were to get into a, a, a military confrontation with Russia, then we could run the risk of a, a, a nuclear holocaust. Um, I applaud our Western leaders and the President of the United States for not going down that road for sure. All right, we've got to take one more quick break. We'll wrap up when we come back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. In here, Dr. Keith Knutson, Viterbo History and Political Science Professor. We're talking about Ukraine, Russia. I never, we never did even get into the uh, the Wisconsin State Legislature wrapping up for the year. They may have a day or two. Where they're they're all done. Is this typical in an election yes, year? Where uh, they? Well, this is typical for state uh, legislatures. Um, they're generally not full time, all year round operations. Um, wait. Th yeah, they are. The, the Wisconsin legislature. Oh, there are long stretches of time when uh, our state legislature and uh, other states, uh, they're not meeting. So I, I got this the other day. The, I was, I was, I'm upset. Like, hey, we could, we've got a lot of bills that we could still pass and other bills that we don't even need to, like, futz with because they're just trolling legislation. Uh, there's, there's some good work to be done in the Wisconsin state legislature 
but we're done for the year. It's it's March second. You know, like there, it just there seems. Have been a, there have been several bipartisan bills that are going to the governor that will be uh, signed by Tony Evers. Uh, but here's one of the challenges: um, when the legislative branch is controlled by one party, the executive by another. Well, then it, uh, uh, then it's hard to uh, get too much done. Uh, over in Minnesota, where you're from, Rick when there's a Republican-controlled body and then a Democratic uh, body, uh, and uh, the, I know the governor is, is a Democrat, well, then uh, the, the politicians in elective office have uh, an opportunity uh, to engage in negotiation. But our Republican-dominated state legislature uh, seems uh, unwilling to do very much with uh, a Democratic governor, and the Democratic governor is vetoing a lot of the bills that are passed by the Republican-controlled legislature. So people that that hear me gripe about, hey, yeah, maybe we should stay in session for a little bit longer or work our way through some of these other bills that, that are important, uh, they're saying, well, you didn't call out the Democrats when they held the Wisconsin state legislature. And I was like, well, I wasn't around then, or I wasn't, I didn't have a mic. And also... Uh, can we can we can we be mad about things that are happening now without it, without having been mad before? Well, the bad news for the Democrats is they lost control of a unified state government uh, in the 2010 Tea Party uh, election that swept a lot of Democrats out of office. Uh, the Republicans then were able to gerrymander representative districts here in our state, and we've not had anywhere close to. Uh, uh, a democratic uh, voice in the state legislature. So uh, we've had a decade of uh, one-party domination. Uh, when Scott Walker was the governor, um, unified control by the Republican Party of this, of this state's government. All right, that's going to wrap it up. I'll say a decade ago I was covering like Winona High School. Sports, Boy, those were the so good old days, right? Those were the good days. All right, thanks a lot, Keith. Thank you.